0: This morning, our scripture comes from Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12 today. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This morning we come to the end of chapter 5 in Romans, and we're going to pick up there from where we've left off over these last weeks. It's important, I think, for us to stop a minute and see where we're headed in Romans because chapter 5, this particular section, which in fact is probably one of the most difficult sections of Romans to get your head around. And so we're going to spend several weeks here in these verses. But this comes to the end of Paul's um, discourse on justification, on how to be reconciled to God. And it comes through the justifying grace of God through faith a righteousness, receiving a righteousness from God outside of us, Um, and God declares us just because of that righteous covering, that righteous work of another Christ. And so we come to the end of the section when we come to the end of chapter five, and then we pick up in chapters six through eight the subject of sanctification. And as we've talked often Salvation is a work of God. It is justification, a moment in time we've made right with God, we're reconciled to him. Then he begins at that moment to sanctify us, to, to make us more and more like Christ until one day we will be fully like him, we will glorified and have a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. That's all the work of salvation. And so Paul's moving now from justification to sanctification. Now, why, the reason I share that is because you need to see the picture, but, but a more important reason there are two words or two, two kind of clauses that I want you to keep in your mind and hopefully you already have them there because of where we've been in the first part of Romans. But these two things, imputed righteousness, that's, that's what happens in justification. The righteousness of another is imputed to us. It's credited to our account. A work outside of us that was done perfectly by Christ is credited, if you want to say it that way, to our account. It's imputed to us. It's given to us, but it, but it resides outside of us before we get it. It's something another accomplished for us. That's imputed righteousness, and that is the grounds by which God justifies us and reconciles us to himself. Imputed righteousness. Keep it in mind. We're going to come to it. In fact, that's... That's really the picture that we see in chapter 5 as we come to the end now, a beautiful picture of what it imputed righteousness is, and we're going to come to that. But there's another, another clause you want to keep in mind, and that is imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness is what happens at the moment we are reconciled to God. At the moment that the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account, um, That we are justified and reconciled because of that, on the basis of that, that's important to remember. We are justified on the basis of imputed righteousness, the imputed righteousness of another credited to our account. But at that very moment, the Holy Spirit enters into our life. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ, the Scripture says. this: Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and begins the process of sanctification. Which has to do with imparted righteousness, that we actually begin to be made more righteous. And we've said it often and we say it again so that you are are warned again. You never can throw off imputed righteousness and say, Oh, I don't need that anymore because I have enough imparted righteousness that I can stand before my God. That is that is foolishness. You can't. You never, you never will have enough imparted righteousness this side of glorification to um, stand before God. So don't mix those two things up. As we move from chapter 5 at the end to chapter 6 through 8, we're, we're talking about two dif- different things, two distinct works of God. One has to do with imputed, one has to do with imparted. Now, I say that because I want you to see how important it is as we move into chapter 5 and see the picture the beautiful picture. Young people, if you're here today, the picture in chapter 5, though it's, it takes some work to get your head around all of it, the picture is a wonderful picture of what it means when we talk about that word imputed righteousness, the work of another credited to us, and it, it is in verse 14 that I want you to look now just quickly because what we're going to do is we're going to take a panoramic kind of aerial view of these, of these verses. We'll get into the specific, specifics later and look at them specifically, but we're going to look at an overview of it. And so I, to do that, look at verse 14 this morning and look what it says there to us. You pick it up in the middle there. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Those are the words, who was a type of the one to come. That, that is that whole idea of picture. And the picture that we're going to get is the picture of two Adams. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it will talk about Christ as being the second Adam. And so really what this is is the picture of two Adams. The first Adam, Adam in the garden, And the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Here it doesn't talk about a second Adam. It just says Adam and Christ. It it contrasts those two. And what a type is, is a contrasting. It's contrasting and comparing two things. The Bible is full of types in the Old Testament. Types of Christ to come. And the reason they're called types is because they're comparisons. They they aren't the real thing, but they're comparisons. They're similar to it in, in many instances and things that happen, and so you can use them to compare and contrast, and what he's doing here now is he's comparing and contrasting the first Adam, Adam, with the second Adam, Christ, and that's the picture that we begin to see. At, a type is a foreshadowing, if you will, a prefiguring, an example of another. And Adam, the first Adam, is a prefiguring example or a foreshadowing of another that is to come. And that's exactly the way it says, of the type who of the one who was to come. That's the way Paul puts it here in this text. And so this morning we want to view that comparison and contrast over the next weeks. And the reason is, because it is such a wonderful picture of understanding, clearly, the work of Christ. Which we've talked about, that imputed righteousness work of Christ. That's specifically what it's talking about here. The, the doctrine of imputation, of things being credited to us from another. And so we'll take time to unpack that and look at that helpful picture this morning. And what I want to do this morning now, as I said, an area of view, just look at three things very quickly this morning as we look down on this passage and see some of that contrast and comparison in the big picture, and then we'll break it down into the parts later. I think it helps us. It helps us deeply with this whole idea of what it is to be a Christian and what what God has done to allow us to be reconciled to him. And so the first comparison or contrast or kind of typology kind of thing I'd like you to see here is that Adam, Adam here is, is represented and presented and, and is all through Scripture. Adam is presented as the father of all humanity. He is the father of all humanity, of all mankind. All of us, if we take our genealogy back far enough, end in Adam. All of us, the whole human race ends there begins there, if you will. Now, that, that's what we clearly see in this text, an important thing to see in this overview that we pass over it. And now, the contrast we'll look at later, not today. But Christ, remember, Adam's a type of another Christ, the second Adam. Christ, Jesus Christ, is the father of a new humanity. And we'll talk about that. That's a wonderful thing, a new humanity that Christ is going to be the head of. And, uh, and we will look at that. But you see the, the comparison? That's what he's doing. We see that comparison here. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Why would Paul do that? He could have used other ways to describe what he's describing, but he takes Adam and, and Christ and puts them in this picture for us. Well, I think it's because it helps us to remember that the message of Christianity... The message of Christianity is not limited to any one people group or any one place or any one time. Young people, hear me. The message of Christianity is not limited to any one people in any one place at any one time. Another has said it this way, that Jesus Christ is not a tribal deity. He's not one among many to choose from who are on equal status. That's what the world will tell you. That is not the Christ that we're talking about here. That is not what the Christ we are talking about here said. It is not. That is not Christianity. People may want to put that label on Christianity, that it's one among many, and unfortunately, many do. But that is never the way the Bible presents it that is never the way that Jesus presented it that is never the way that Paul presented it you you need to hear that because you hear it a thousand times more other places and it has to do with this whole idea of pluralism it is it is rampant in our society today and it is not Christian you can believe it you can believe whatever you want to believe But just don't label it Christianity. It is not what Christianity teaches. And in fact, that is part of the reason why we will rejoice in our sufferings at times. We will. It's why Paul did. If Paul would have said it's one among many, he would have suffered much less than he suffered because he didn't say that. In fact, he said the exact opposite of that. So that's one point. The second point, the second contrast that I think is important for us to see is that the human race has one fundamental problem that stems from its connection to Adam. The human race has one fundamental problem because of its connection to Adam, the entire human race. All people, all cultures in all times. It's all-encompassing. That problem escapes no one, according to what Paul has to say in this text. Specifically, let's look at the problem. Just look at the scripture. We're not gonna spend a lot of time at verse 15. If you read verse 15, it will say this. Many died through one man's trespass. If you sum it up, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16 the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Because of one, verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. And then verse 18, one trespass led to the condemnation of all men and underline all, all men in all times. It led to the condemnation of all What brought, what brought that condemnation? The sin, the scripture says clearly, the sin of one man. One sin of one man, the sin of Adam. Now stop for a minute and let's compare and contrast this a bit. And as we do that, it's important for you to hear this and we won't again, we're not gonna say much this morning, We'll leave it to later, but this is important to hear. That condemnation that we just read about, that trespass that led to the condemnation of all men, the word condemnation of all men, did not come. This text clearly states it. It did not come from our individual sins. Now, we'll explain why that's important. Incredibly important later. Now, we have sinned. Everyone in this room has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But that is not what brought the condemnation initially. Initially, that condemnation came from one man's sin, the sin of Adam. That was, now let me use the word, that was imputed to all men. See the word imputed? Remember how we talked about it before, the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us? But here it's talking about the sin of Adam being imputed to all men. His sin imputed to them, credited to their account. And that's what Paul clearly teaches. Look at verse 14 here. Again, we'll come back and and, uh, and talk about this later. But... Um, It says this, the same verse we looked at before, but the first part of it I want to look at now. It says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. That text right there, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, that is speaking to the fact that that the, the initial condemnation does not come from our own individual sins that we have committed. There's not, again, one in this room who hasn't committed sin but the initial the initial condemnation that it talks about in this text does not come from those sins that's what it means when it says was not like the sin of adam again hold that we'll come back to it but as we move on in this we want to to look now as what we've already said the contrast Imputed sin from Adam, imputed righteousness from Christ. Look at verse eighteen of the text again as we look at the big picture. Therefore, this is this says it as succinctly as it can say it. Therefore, as one trespass, whose trespass? Trespass of Adam, Adam's sin, as therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. All men. So one act of righteousness, whose righteousness? Christ. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. You see that, that double imputation, if you will? Adam's sin is imputed to men and Christ's righteousness is imputed to men. It is showing the contrast the comparison of imputation in this text. It really is the foundation for the doctrine of original sin. That's what we're talking about here, the doctrine of original sin. And it can be hard to understand. Maybe not so hard to understand. What I've just said might not be so hard to understand. But at another level, it's hard sometimes to maybe the word to say swallow. That's maybe a better way. It's not so hard to understand but at times, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to accept it. It's hard to, to think that my condemnation is because of the sin of Adam. So how is that explained? Some have made attempts to do that. I'm not sure you fully can. But that's what Scripture teaches. Again, go back to the text. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. That's what it says. Adam's sin was imputed to man. Doctrine of original sin. But some have made some attempts to try to explain it. Let me give you a couple quickly here. And uh, this is how the theologians would try to explain it. First of all, they have a realistic view. They would call it the realistic view of how that happened, why that occurred, why what Paul said happened. We're not here debating what Paul said and what he taught. He taught that, but they're trying to explain how could it be for those who are having a hard time swallowing. One of the ways is the realistic view. Now, in Adam, we've already said, in in Adam was the whole of human nature. When he acted, we were united to him by our seed from him and therefore acted with him. That's one of the views. That's what the realistic view is. In other words, because our seed ultimately comes from Adam, the seed of Adam to all men, when Adam sinned, our seed was in him, and so we sinned in Adam. That's the realistic view that some would use. And the text they would use is Hebrews chapter 7. We aren't going to take a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 7, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn there quickly, but here's the story of Abraham and Melchizedek, and as they meet one another, Abraham gives an offering to Melchizedek, and then something unique is said at the end of that text in chapter 7, if you go down to verse 9 and 10, an interesting thing is said, and this is, this is where they get the connection of the realistic view from scripture. We don't want to say more than it says, but this is what it says. In verse 9 it says, "One might even say that Levi himself, Levi was the great-grandson of Abraham." Levi was of the tribe of priests. They were the priestly tribe of Israel, and Levi was the head of that priestly tribe, and Levi early on in this these verses we didn't read it all, but Levi is told to have received tithes. In other words, he received tithes because he was the head of the priestly order, and therefore the priestly order received the tithes from the people. But then it says this. Now, keep all that in mind. It says, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, no problem. He's the priest. Tithes come to the priest, come to the temple, come to the tabernacle. Pay. Now, it says... One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes. That's the part that's hard because it says paid tithes through Abraham. And then it says this, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. In other words, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And here it says, Levi, who lived a long time after Melchizedek, gave tithes ties to Melchizedek. How did he do it? And the scripture says he did it when Abraham did it because he's in the loins of Abraham. In other words, Abraham's seed flows down to Levi. Again, the idea that that this whole idea of original sin flows in that order to us, to all men because of one man's trespasses. Now, again, that's as far as we can take that text, but it comes out of Scripture. The other view, the view that's probably more widely talked about and held in Scripture, is called the um, representative view. In other words, the representative view that God construed um, Adam as the federal head and representative of the human race. He was declared that a covenant... Theologian was talking about the covenant with Adam. And the covenant with Adam, it, it goes like this. If, if Adam would have not sinned in the garden when he was tempted, if Adam had not fallen into sin, he ultimately would have been confirmed in righteousness. And as the head of, of all, the whole would have been confirmed in righteousness. We would have been confirmed in righteousness. That's the way the picture of that goes. But we know that he didn't. He didn't resist the temptation. He failed. He sinned. And so that sin then again, because he's the federal head, is passed on to his posterity. So, Here again, issue of accepting that, accepting the realistic view or the representative view, the federal view, that he was the head. He was our representative. We we have something inside us, don't we? We have something inside us that wants to rise up and say, okay, but I'll be my own representative, thank you. I don't need somebody else to stand in my stead. That's kind of our individualism, isn't it? Maybe even more prevalent where we live than other places. Certainly is in our culture more than other cultures. They would understand this much better than we can understand it. Not in our mind understand it, but in our hearts understand it. But I I grant it, some of that rises up in me. But think about it a moment. God chose the representative, God chose. I think the best representative, because that's what R.C. Sproul would tell us. He chose the best to represent. He chose one who didn't have um, the weaknesses that we have now. You, th- you think about that. How well have you done being that representative? How well. But Adam was chosen by God to be the representative. That's what Scripture teaches and be careful be careful to 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 let something else rise up in you that's not fair it's not the kind of god we have part of i think our faith is that we have a god who is ultimately and perfectly just and chooses without making mistakes and so part of accepting this is resting in that i think but there's a deeper reason why you want to be careful. A deeper reason. And I go back to uh, the words of another, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to what he says. Once more, I must repeat what I said previously. And he talks much about it in his commentary in Romans. Once more, I must repeat what I said previously so that we must not begin to question our relationship to the world's first man, Adam. Adam. Because every time you put the question, I will make you ask the same question about the relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you say to me, is it fair that the sin of Adam should be imputed to me? I will reply by asking, is it fair that the righteousness of Christ should be imputed to me? If you say further, I can't understand that sort of thing, I will ask, can you understand the other? The result is you will be left without a gospel, without hope, and without salvation. Part of the reason why it is so important for us to see what Paul is saying is because you can't have one side of imputation without the other. The doctrine of imputation, that is what is being compared and contrasted in this text. And it is of paramount importance to the gospel. If you, if you don't understand that doctrine, if you don't understand, well, you don't have to understand the words, but you need to understand the concept that the righteousness of God outside of us is credited to our account. That's what Romans is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That another did what we couldn't and was willing to put it on our account for us. He who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Again, we'll talk more about that as we go along. That's why we're going to spend some weeks in this text the last point I want to leave you with is this, that all men, if, if what Paul said is true, and I believe it is, all men stand today either in Adam or in Christ. Again, all men. All men are either in Adam or they are in Christ. Again, going back to the text. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One or the other. One or the other this morning. All men. Verse 15, I want to close with that this morning. Look at it with me and then we're going to sing together. This is is what's glorious about it, is that Christ is far greater than Adam. To be in Christ is far greater than being in Adam. Look what it says. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. And this is the word, abounded for many. It's not that they're equal. One is here, and this one kind of cancels out this one. In other words, we are in the sin of Adam, and this one cancels out all that. It, it doesn't just get us back to zero. It doesn't get us back to neutral. But it abounds for us. And we'll talk about that, the abounding grace of God, the grace of God, the imputation of the righteousness From Christ to us abounds to us, it is a glorious thing. That's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, because all men need it. One of the things this morning, and we're going to close, I'd like the worship team to come, and as they're coming, let me introduce what we're going to sing. There's a song that we sing, and I'm grateful. I don't, I don't fully know how to express how grateful I am to Matthew and how he's led the worship team and all of them and the selections that they made. I don't know how many times this morning in the songs you taught, heard the word, death is overcome. I, there were two or three of the songs talked about death being overcome. You see, that's what comes to all men by the condemnation of Adam, death. But it's been overcome, and I'm grateful that we sing those truths. Not only do we read them here, but we sing those truths. We sing them. My heart was rejoicing this morning as I was thinking about what I'm going to share with you, that I'm, I'm bolstered by what we've already sung together. And then as I was preparing this week, this song came to me. We're going to close with it. Listen, come, behold the wondrous mystery. Is, is it a mystery to you what I've talked about, how that can be, the One's sin is imputed to us and one's righteousness. If that's not a mystery to you, I, 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 don't, I can't help you, I guess. I mean, it's a mystery. I can't understand it all. You can't understand it all. You can't explain it all. Some have tried to explain some of it. There's, we, we go to the degree we can, but we can't explain it all. It, it, it ends up being a mystery to some degree, but it, it's what the Scripture teaches But listen, come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. That's why he could have a righteousness for us because there was no stain of sin. The first Adam failed. He was not confirmed in righteousness. The second Adam, the last Adam, because there's no other Adam to come, succeeded. We don't need any other Adam to come because he did not have a trace of sin in his life or his death and therefore has a righteousness. But then this line, see. This is what I hope comes out of this, the picture. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. The true and better Adam. That's what these verses are about. Let's stand and sing together.
2: Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, He the perfect Son of man. In his living, in his suffering, neither trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam, come to save the help of man. Christ the great and sure fulfilled. Behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon a tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan of. sons to glory grace unmeasured love untold come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death in power resurrected as we will